Welcome to the Old Bridge Baptist Church podcast. We hope you find the following sermon to be edifying for your walk with the Lord. If you have any questions or feedback, please feel free to reach out to us on our Facebook page. You can also visit our website at obb.church for more info. Now here's the sermon. Well, good morning. And it's great to be back here at Old Bridge Baptist. And, and one of the cool things, and what it makes it an honor and a privilege to be here with you, is that we can worship the Lord together and we can, we can experience His glory in that process. And i got to be honest with you, as I'm standing here, there is a Teutonic shift to this side of the lawn, okay? So I don't know whether I should turn the pulpit this way or stare at the camera. So now I'm really confused. So, hi, everybody. Good to see you. They're all waving for those who can't see on this side. As, as you may know, I am a chaplain at the Colony of Mercy at America's Keswick. And as you know, addiction recovery is the heartbeat of America's Keswick. And our men's ministry has been in business if you will, for 124 years. And as was mentioned, our women's ministry is about seven years old. When a man comes into the colony for the 120-day program, or a woman comes to Barbara's place for six months, I can tell you it is a commitment. Because most times when a guy comes into the colony, he'll say, ugh, four months. I can't do four months. I, I got work, I got stuff, I got cars, I got bills, I got... But toward the end of that four months, as he sticks it out, he'll say, wow, you mean it's almost finished? Because God infuses his life and helps him to better understand who he is. And as a result, he says, I really don't want to leave. And we give them an option. The men of the colony are allowed to stay for discipleship for another 90 days. And in that, he gets additional responsibility. He gets a small stipend. He can continue in counseling. And one of those folks that made that decision is Ben. And Ben, come on up. Ben uh, is now a disciple within the program and, and has committed to stay for another 90 days. And will stay a little longer than that, we hope. So Ben like to share some of that commitment with you. How's it going, everyone? I actually already uh, stayed longer than the 90 days. Um, I committed to another 90 days on top of that already. Um, and the reason being, before I came to Keswick, um, my life was just a total mess. Um, I was raised in the church when I was five to seven years old. I put my faith in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior and started living for him. Until I was about 13 years old, my parents sent me to Christian school, played sports. Um, if I obeyed my parents and stayed where I was going to be, I would have graduated with 15 college credits, went to states my junior and senior year for soccer. But uh, they had me start working at a restaurant when I was 13 because I was a problem child. They wanted to get me out of the house. And uh, there I would come home every night crying because I would hear about bad language and just sinful behavior that the men in the back would do at night and go out and party and one night they uh 
wanted to get the 13-year-old kid drunk. And I was like, no, no, no. All right, my line of defense. My mom's not going to say I can go out till 2 o'clock in the morning. And my mom said yes. So I'm like, all right, I'll go, but I'm not going to drink. And they sent this girl who I had to crush over with the bottle and started drinking. And from there, I realized that the sin that everyone was telling me was like this horrible thing. And I just believed on faith that it really was. And in reality, it is, but I didn't understand why I was feeling so good because my flesh was telling me that this is great. So from there, I started chasing feelings. And uh, like Solomon said, all that stuff doesn't fulfill. I was trying to fill, uh, fill a hole that only Jesus Christ has been able to fill. Um, unfortunately, this is, my, is not my first time at the colony. First time at the colony, it worked because I gave Jesus my whole heart again and I started pursuing him with my whole heart. And then again, another girl who I fell in love with that I thought I was going to marry came along. Good Christian girl. Just wasted my time. Was just kind of holding my spot while she was looking for someone else. And uh, kind of broke my heart. Fell on my face. She came back. Fell on my face again when she left again. And this time, I'm just waiting for God to tell me what to do and where to go because... I see how detrimental it is to follow him. I see how his word and his love for us is putting these guidelines in effect to keep us safe. Like, uh, I've been reading 1 Kings, which is a tough read most of the time for me, but in it, I see the obedience of the kings. And the harder the trust was for the kings, the more God shows up. God never fails to show up, but... The challenges with the world around us, with COVID, with everything going on, where God's calling me to trust, the more I have to trust, the more he shows up. But in order for him to show up, I got to hang in there and hold on to him and give him my whole heart and trust him wholeheartedly. And I've been blessed with people like Chaplain Paul, who have just been patient with me pouring into my life. And the fact that God even gave me another chance, because honestly, all glory has to go to him at the end of the day. Nothing should be about me, and the whole reason that I have got blessed to even come here in the first place is because God is the one who deserves glory. Nothing I do is anything good at the end of the day unless it points people back to Jesus Christ, and I'm blessed that my addiction has showed me that. But thank you guys for having me. I love Ben. I really do. This morning we're going to do a discussion about commitment. Much like the commitment we've been hearing about from Ben, who, who has shared with us about his time commitment, but also his commitment at large. Now, when I talk about commitment, I don't want you to start rolling your eyes at me, okay? I'm a Jersey guy, I'm going to talk like a Jersey guy. Don't you do that eye rolling with me, okay? So don't tell me that, you know, that's what you're saying to yourself. Don't you tell me, see the way I said that? Not you, it's you, tell me. Don't you tell me that I'm not committed to the church or to God or all that jazz. I don't want to hear it. Fair enough. But let's go back to first century Palestine. There was a whole lot of commitment going on. And then along comes Jesus.
And he interrupts this commitment thing. And he asks us to do the same thing, to take a real hard look at commitment. You know, Jesus was really good about interrupting things. And we got our little plans, we got our schemes, we've got our way of pleasing God that makes us comfortable and happy and we feel like we're committed. We're going to see this morning that Jesus teaches us to follow him. It takes more than just commitment. Would you take a moment with me and pray with me? Thank you, Lord, for what you continue to show us. Thank you so much for what you've given us in your word. And we are humbled and grateful for this chance. Father, Lord, you are so good. And we are so needy. Now bless this time that we have together, the words that you put on me. For it be less of me and all of you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Turn in your Bibles, if you have them with you, to Luke chapter 18, verse 18, and we'll be working through the New International Version, which shouldn't be terribly different if you have other versions of the Bible with you. Now, i got to preface all of this by saying that I had some time a couple years ago to read through an article about commitment, and I've been giving a lot of time thinking about this term, commitment, and it, it, it came from a very thought-provoking article that was written by a missionary to Cambodia by the name of Bob Butler. Now, the idea of commitment is kind of a funny one. We look at commitment as being this ironclad, rock-solid, unshakable, permanent thing. The truth is, it isn't. Commitment is when you make an agreement to do something and you satisfy that agreement when you do it. Let's say you sign a contract, maybe to rent an apartment or, or a house, or, and, and you show good faith and you sign a lease. But when you get into the house, you realize you may want to move someplace else, so what do you do? You can break the lease. You break the commitment. Let's say you're in business and you make a deal with another company. That's a commitment. You decide you want to partner and create value. So you find out it's not working out so well. You're not making the kind of income you were hoping. So what do you do? You break up the partnership because you want to create value. When we commit to get married, it's called an engagement. But sometimes we find out that other person that we're engaged to isn't exactly what we had in mind. So what do we do? We break the engagement. We break the commitment. Let's say a couple gets married. That engagement becomes a wedding. Marriage is a legal, moral, and emotional commitment. Now, one could expect that that commitment would be enough to carry the happy couple into happily ever after. Then why is a divorce rate soaring? Why is it that couples are actually not getting married? Why is there a fear of that? Because you're breaking that marriage commitment. And lest we think that we as Christians are immune from it, we are not. 
because the divorce rate also hits the Christian church. Because, frankly speaking, when I make a commitment, I make the commitment. It's on my power, my sheer will, my talents, my abilities. It's all about me. I got this commitment. I got this. If you're taking notes, truth number one, commitment is more about my control than the positive or negative result. When we commit, it's all about us. It's what we do that brings us the value, the worth, the fulfillment of the commitment. In other words, it's all about control, our control. We think, frankly, we're all friends here, right? We think we can even control God. I mean, we could even turn a negative and critical eye to religions that we call works-based. We may not look for our salvation in works, but once we are committed to Christ, what do we do? We think we need to do stuff. Like read our Bible, go to church, pray, forgive those who offend us, tithe 11%. Help out in church, host a missionary, witness, at least not be a bad witness, lead some things, go to a business meeting. We do commitment. And then there's stuff that we don't do, some things that we kind of make up as we go along. It makes us look committed. Some of them we, we even embellish from God's word so we can do our commitment. And when we do commitment, frankly, we, we start to feel righteous, don't we? And it's there that we feel that we have control of our spiritual walk. We feel like we're in control of our life with Christ. We have victory. That's kind of like the Pharisees in the first century. Now, that was a committed group of folks. These guys, these Pharisees, they were the religious conservatives of the time. They, they, they sought to strictly follow the law and Jewish tradition, both at the same time. They were pretty sound, frankly, doctrinally. Acts chapter 23 actually tells us a little bit more about it. They, they believed in angels, they believed in demons, and they believed in resurrection. But let's take a closer look, not just at the Pharisees, but also at this temple guy that we've heard so much about, the rich young ruler. If you have your Bibles open, like we said to Luke 18.18, 18, that's where the story starts. But... When you look at the Synoptic Gospels, we can see that this ruler wasn't really a ruler at all, but actually he might have been a leader of the temple. Yes, he's also rich. Yes, he's also young. So he would be called in our culture an up-and-comer, somebody that we have to keep an eye on, somebody who, who had status and was growing in status. 
somebody that we have to watch very carefully because he's going places. At best, that's an ego boost. That's something we want to hang on to. That's something that makes us feel good. That increases our commitment. Imagine this, though. In his fine robes, immaculately groomed, he's kneeling in the dirt, just as Jesus is coming down the road, just at the edge of town. And this rich young ruler has this burning question in his heart. Probably it's been nagging him for a long time. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's a pretty awesome question. Here's something interesting. He doesn't call Jesus Lord. He doesn't call him Master. He doesn't call him Messiah. He calls him good teacher. <laughs> so Jesus does what Jesus does. He, he, he challenges the young man right off the top. He says, why do you call me good? Verse 19. Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. <laughs> Jesus opens up a little bit here and tells him exactly who he is. Because Jesus wasn't good because he was a teacher. Jesus was good because he's God. Now, Jesus addresses the question the young man wants answered, and guess who's standing right with him? The Pharisees. The young man knew his scripture. In our vernacular, we'd probably be called a Bible thumper. Jesus speaks in verse 20. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother. Now, if you've got your scorecards out, it's Exodus 20, 12 through 16. The seventh, sixth, eighth, ninth, and fifth commandments, respectively. But here's the interesting part. Each of these commandments pertain to man's relationship to man. In other words, it's about our control. The first four of the Ten Commandments deal with man's relationship with God, and Jesus is going to deal with that in just a second. But here's a side note. If you have your scorecards out, there's one commandment Jesus didn't touch. Do not covet. For a rich guy, that would have been a little tough to swallow. So, the young man responds the same way as we would do if we were from North Jersey. Hey, I did all that. I've done them for years. I've done them since I was a kid. Frankly, I don't doubt that. This guy was very knowledgeable in the law, and he understood the ways to follow the law. And chances are, he was raised from a very young age, according to Deuteronomy, to follow the law because it was taught to him. He may have even been sincere. He was committed to doing right by God. But there was something missing in his life and he knew it. 
And Jesus understood that. This young, sincere, committed man had a need. And in the Lord's response, this is the key phrase in the passage that we're reading. Verse 22. You still lack one thing. And here's the killer statement. Sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then, come, follow me. Take a look at that and listen to the order that Jesus puts this in. Sell everything. Give the money you make from the sale to those who don't have as much as you. Then when you have nothing of earthly value, you'll understand that there's no comparison between the beauty of heaven and the distorted power of earthly things. And then when you have no calculable worth, at least as the world measures it, then you're ready to follow me. What Jesus is saying is that the price is really high. Truth number two, we have to give everything to gain everything. We have to give everything to gain everything. Jesus challenged this young man with the same challenge that he gives us. Are you going to commit? Or are you going to surrender? Commitment versus surrender. Now, I'm not splitting hairs. So please don't get that indication that I am. There is a significant difference between the two. Remember, when you're committed to something, you can still get out of it because you're still in control. But if you surrender, the person to whom you surrendered to has control. You ever see one of those World War II movies? I mean, when the Allies are leading the Germans out of the foxhole? What are they doing? They've got their hands up over their heads. And who has control? The Allies. They gave up. And as a result, someone else has control. Jesus was looking for this rich young man, respected in the community, to give up something more. He wanted to give up himself. You see, the things that Jesus is asking him to give up were the things that made up his identity. The money, the wealth, the prestige, the power, the control, the commitment. Jesus wanted him to surrender it all. Because with all that stuff came other stuff. Isn't that true with us too? 
when he and we do all that, we become totally empty. And then we're ready to follow him. It's not about the money. It never really is, is it? It's about the complete and total release of all the stuff that was interfering from us seeing the Savior and having a true relationship with his Father. When a man comes into the colony of mercy, he doesn't come in with much. Sometimes he doesn't have much to come in with. Other cases, he's loaded. But over a period of time, the longer that he's exposed to the word of God, he realizes that that stuff doesn't really matter. And the longer that he clings on to the things that he thinks are important, the less he gets closer to God until it gets toward a time in his life where God takes him to a fork in the road and he's got to make a choice. You're going to follow me or you're going to follow the world? Some guys make interesting choices. They think they could do both. They think there's a third option. There isn't. I know. And while I may never have been to the colony of mercy, certainly I've had choices to make. Follow Christ or follow the world. And let me tell you, the easier choice is the one that would give me the more comfort. The things that we hold so dear to us are the things that are keeping us from a relationship with a loving God who so desperately wants us and wants us to surrender. Now, let's take a step back. We have all agreed that salvation comes by faith and faith alone. Romans 3.28, for we maintain a person is justified by faith apart from works of the law. We're all good on that. This young man was committed to earning God's favor with the condition of hanging on to his stuff. The wealth, the power, the righteousness, his control, and his identity. We too can be committed to earning God's favor. Jesus gives us a simple solution to this commitment. There's one thing you lack. Surrender. Galatians 2 20 and 21 For I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, listen, Christ died for nothing. We are called to follow Christ. Our surrender to the one who died for us allows us tremendous freedom. And that freedom is to be used by him for his glory. There's nothing that we can cling to. There's no 
encumbrances. And as a result, we're free to follow him. Now, wait a minute. Let me, let me sound like a colony guy. But chap, you don't understand. Do I not hear that four or five times an hour? But chap, you don't understand. You're telling me I gotta sell it all and give the money to the church, Salvation Army, or something like that. Is that what you're saying? And then after I do that, then I can follow Jesus? What I'm saying is what Jesus said, surrender yourself. Your dependence is no longer on you or your stuff or your control or your righteousness. It now is on Jesus. And much like this rich young ruler, your identity can no longer be on yourself, but rather on Jesus because your identity because becomes him. Now, how did this young man who had everything answer that question? How did he handle it? If you have your Bibles open, look at verse 23. He was saddened. This is the only time recorded in Scripture that Jesus' command to follow him with a direct encounter was rejected. Was it the money? Was it the law keeping? Was it the power? Was it the wealth? Was it the commitment? Or was that where he put his hope? We know, or we should, you can't have it both ways. Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. But as we've already said, it was more than the money. It was everything that came with the money. It was his identity. The challenge that God continues to reveal to us is what is your identity? Is your identity in the things of the world, the things I have, the things I've accomplished, the things that I could have? My hope is in what I'm going to get in the future? Or is my hope in Christ? And biblically speaking, hope is not something that I wish for but it's a confidence that we have, knowing that God will not just deliver, but he'll abundantly deliver. The rich young guy couldn't do it. You gotta be all in, but he couldn't surrender. The same thing applies to us. Dr. Luke in chapter 9, verse 23, says what Jesus said. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. 
but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet lose or forfeit their very self? It starts with surrender. And brothers and sisters, that is not an easy thing to do in the American culture. A culture that forces us to keep up with everything else. The latest, the greatest, the biggest, the most expensive. And we even brag about it. And then we hide behind what would be said, well, God blessed us with this. And it wasn't that easy in first century Palestine either. Verse 24, Jesus looked at him and said, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? A philosophical question. We get this impression that the rich young ruler at that point was sort of slinking away from this discussion with God. The Lord himself, embarrassed. Instead, the guy is looking right at Jesus as he's talking. I mean, right at him. And he says the words that we ourselves would hate to hear. Even in our upper middle class lifestyle. Jesus' first recorded sermon, his longest and the one that set the tone for his ministry, the Sermon on the Mount focused on this question. My words, blessed are not the ones who look for material pleasure and ease, but those who are in a position to see and experience the love and care of an almighty God. Jesus says in verse 25, Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus uses this well-known Jewish proverb to illustrate a point, a very sobering point. It's more than the money or the stuff or the fancy clothes. It's even more than that. It's status. It's position. It's being looked up to. It's, it's hanging on to a life that we're comfortable with. Let's just think this through. If the rich young ruler decided to sell it all, give it all away, give the money to the poor, just what Jesus said, that's one thing. But, but following Jesus? He'd have to give up more than the money and the stuff. He'd have to sacrifice his prominent temple position, his ruler status, his, his reputation, his background, his, his traditions, his, his history, his, his entire past. And follow this guy who the religious aristocracy didn't take all that kindly to. And they're standing right there. 
Isn't that just like us? I mean, we hold back on sharing Jesus that are with our work friends because we don't want to damage our position on the job. Or we don't want people thinking less of us if we tell our neighbor about the Lord. Or, or for heaven's sakes, we don't want them thinking that we're some kind of religious nutcase. Sure, we're committed to Jesus. I mean, we're all here on Sunday morning, outside. But can we surrender to the will of God and share the gospel with those who need to hear it most? In this case, it's about our heart. The Greek word here is a derivative of plautos, which actually means wealth, like fullness. Literally, it's money, possessions, abundance, riches. But specifically, it means valuable bestowment. Like a contentment in one's earthly trappings and thus could hinder our relationship with God. Can a rich guy get into heaven? The better question is the same one that disciples asked. Can anyone get into heaven? Luke 18, 26, for those who heard this asked, who can be saved? Verse 27, Jesus replied, what is impossible with men is possible with God. The irony of this is one chapter over, Luke records the story of Zacchaeus, not just the tax collector, the chief tax collector. The last guy you would think would come to know Jesus. Guess what? He did. And was willing to give up his status and his fortune and his ill-gotten gains to follow Jesus. What is impossible with men is possible with God. Interesting to note at this point, God himself doesn't make commitments. He makes covenants. He made them with Adam, Abraham, Moses, David, and he makes them with us too. We can count on them. Remember what Jesus said. It's possible with God. Now, as we finish up, what about those guys that have been busy following him and they've dedicated their lives to the Lord? Gave it all up for Jesus and followed him. The disciples. Well, my friend Peter asked the what about us question. It's in verse 28. And Jesus answers with the focus on our surrender. And it's total. I tell you the truth, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age 
and in the age to come, eternal life. Kind of sums up the whole story of the apostles who chucked it all to follow this itinerant preacher for the sake of the kingdom of God. This verse oftentimes gets misunderstood. We figure that if we give it all up for God, he's going to give us three or four times more in this earthly world. In other words, if I sell my Honda, I'm getting a Lexus. No, no, no. We get something a whole lot better. We get Jesus. And eternal life. Which takes us to our last truth. The greatest human failing is to be comfortable. You're comfortable. Got a job, make a nice living. Been blessed with a nice house. Remember the word, blessed. Got a great car, got food in the fridge. In fact, I'm going out to lunch after this. Got some coin in my pocket. I read my Bible, I go to church, I love my spouse, I love my kids, I love God too. Whoa! I love God too? You may have heard the phrase, save soul, wasted life. That's one of the greatest tragedies of this or any time. Trading the joy of resting in the Savior for the pleasures of this fleeting life. What's years compared to eternity? Here's our application. In order for Jesus to complete his mission, he surrendered to the will of his Father. And he came to earth as a human feeling all the emotions, the feelings, the pain, the hurt, and tragedy that we do. Even in his death, he voluntarily submitted to the worst possible form of execution that the Roman government could cook up at the time. Crucifixion. He didn't die of blood loss. He died of asphyxiation. And in that, he stretched out his hands and he allowed his creation to nail them to a cross made from a tree that he created. And he gave up his life. And he asks us to do the same thing. And we need to ask ourselves a very hard question. Am I comfortable? Or am I committed? Or am I surrendered? Personally, I don't want to be comfortable. I don't even want to be committed. I want to surrender it all to the one who surrendered everything to die and give me eternal life.
Join me in prayer. Father, I ask you to search the hearts of every person here, including mine. Teach me, Lord, to just give it all up. And when I start getting this thing in my head that I got control, please, Lord, teach me I don't. Teach me that that's just, just something that was made up in my head or something that the enemy has, has, has dropped on me. Father, when I say that I got it, I really don't. Father, when teach me that surrender is the only way that I'm going to come to know you. Father, that I might come to understand that I need to deny myself daily, take up my cross daily, and follow you daily. And that has to be constant, nonstop, without any question. Father, you are the only one that's got it. I don't. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters here as they're in the middle of many changes here even in this church. Father, you put us through a pandemic for a reason. Father, you put us through these changes for a reason. Father, you, you've, you've started this process of a pastoral search to bring the right man to be in this pulpit at this time to shepherd these people for the right reasons. Father, we commit that to you. Father, we also know that our sacrifice of loving you unconditionally will be the only way that we can come to know you. Father, thank you for that. We're also grateful for the fact that we can surrender to the one who gave it all. Take my life, Lord, and let me be the only way I can see you. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old Bridge Baptist Church. Please consider subscribing to our podcast on the platform that you're currently listening on. We appreciate your support and we hope you have a God-blessed day.